It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Brian Kilmeade. I'm Martha McCallum. I'm David Asman, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Thursday, July 14th, 2022. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. Inflation spiked again, even more than anticipated. The White House says that was from a peak in June and that gas prices have gone down since. And yet, core inflation, that's minus food and gas, is up as well. Wall Street uh, and a lot of economists have been hoping that we're somewhere near the peak on inflation. And what we got with this report was a number that was worse than expected. I'm Chris Foster. The new, more contagious variant now dominant COVID cases and hospitalizations have been going back up and more people are getting reinfected. The best way to protect yourself is to be vaccinated and up to date on your vaccinations, even if you have prior infection confirmed. We speak with former Surgeon General Dr. Jerome Adams. And I'm Charlie Hurt. I've got the final word on the Fox News rundown. Analysts had expected higher inflation, just not quite this high. The consumer price index increased 9.1% in June. Analysts were expecting it would be up around 8.8%. While many point to gas prices, many of us are seeing it at the grocery store as well. Every day we notice the eggs, the bread, the milk, the juice, the fruit. Everything is like 25%, 40% up. I notice like I go and try to get milk and like even a half gallon of milk, it's hard to find for under $8, um, which is really hard and makes it really hard to afford things. Eggs cost 33% more than a year ago. Men's suits cost nearly 25% more. Airfare is up 34%, and gasoline of all types is up about 60%. But on that energy front, White House spokeswoman Karine Jean-Pierre said while traveling with the president to Israel. We expect the backwards-looking inflation data to be highly elevated, uh, mainly because gas prices were so high in June. White House economic advisor Brian Deese told Yahoo Finance. These numbers that came out today are outdated in the sense that they uh, don't reflect the significant decline in uh, oil prices and gas prices that we've seen. Gas prices at the pump down 30 days straight. Deese said this is why they're so focused on bringing down other costs like prescription drugs and semiconductors or chips. After the CPI data came out, West Virginia Democratic Senator Joe Manchin said he is rethinking a budget reconciliation bill with fellow Democrats. He's been negotiating with Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. Now he says he's not sure he can agree to anything beyond a drug prescription provision. Deese said they're focused on increasing energy supply. The Fed has raised interest rates, but Americans are frustrated, even with low unemployment. A morning consult poll released Wednesday Wednesday found more than half of Democrats, 65% of independents, and 78% of Republicans think we're in a recession. It was a bad number, uh, and it was worse than people were expecting, and people were expecting a bad number. John Hilsenrath is a senior writer and editor at The Wall Street Journal. What's discouraging about this report is that Wall Street uh, and a lot of economists have been hoping that we're somewhere near the peak on inflation. And what we got with this report was a number that was worse than expected. It doesn't show that momentum is really receding a lot and that if this is the peak, the peak is even higher than we had hoped. There is some 
Good news on the horizon. Energy prices, commodity prices have come down, so people should be starting to see some relief at the gas station right. in the weeks ahead. Um, but there's because these numbers are so high, there's just a long way to go to get back to anything that we would call normal on the inflation front. So that leads us to the Fed. Uh, the Fed has work to do. They've started raising short-term interest rates. They were behind the curve. I don't think anyone disputes that anymore. And uh, they've got a lot more work to do. So they've got another meeting coming up in a couple weeks. And uh, at the very least, it looks like they're going to raise rates by three-quarters of a percentage of point again for the second time in a row, uh, which shows a central bank that is starting to get some serious sweat on its brow about how far behind the curve it is. Yeah, I want to get into the Fed in a minute um, a little bit more, but you just noted we do see prices coming down a bit for gas. They're still they're still pretty, pretty high, though. Um, and like you noted, the administration and others argue that this data they they hope it reflects a peak, and then they're pretty insistent that they think it reflects a peak. What are you looking at to sort of glean any any more data or any more insight into whether or not this is a peak? It, it, in other words, do we just right. look at what's coming down and say, okay, well, things are, you know, gas is coming down, so that's good? What the Federal Reserve tries to get is about consistent, steady 2% inflation a year. We're now at 9%, right? So it's got to come down a long way to get to the goal. So even if this is a peak, there's still a long way to go. You know, if you get, say, to 4 or 5%, then prices are still rising at a pretty fast rate. There, there's still a long way to go to get back to what we thought of before the pandemic as being normal. Right. So are things turning? Well, on the one hand, uh, some people would look at bond markets. Bond yields did hit a high and then turn around uh, a few weeks ago. So that's a good sign. That shows inflation expectations in the bond market are starting to come off a little bit. We've seen commodity prices come down. It's not just energy. Um, if you look at things like prices for wheat and corn, they've also turned around. And, and that's pretty remarkable to me because this war in Ukraine uh, has turned out to be a war of attrition that you would think would be disturbing these markets for a much longer period of time. But we've seen a big, big declines in wheat and corn prices. And of course, we've seen energy prices, commodity prices come off. So we should be seeing some relief at the pump. So that's all good news. The bad news is that if you look at other areas of the economy, the rise of inflation is pretty unrelenting. Are you talking about also the core inflation number being still too high as well? Like that went up as well. And that's minus yeah. food and gas, right? Right. So, you know, a household spends money on a wide range of different things. We spend money on food and gas. And, you know, that's starting to turn around. Hopefully that's good news. But there are other areas like a rent bill. Uh, right. which is a huge part of the average household budget. And then day-to-day -day things like, w what I actually like to look at is the cost of a haircut, because it's a very <laughs> kind of basic service that is provided in any economy 
anywhere in the world. You know, people talk about core inflation, take out food, take out energy. Look at the price of a haircut. That kind of gets you to the bottom of things. And those prices have been rising too. Rental costs have been rising, which brings me back to like the main point of what I'm saying, which is that we still got a long way to go to get this inflation beast back in its cave. We are talking about a Fed that's probably, I mean, I keep hearing at least 75 basis points, but then there's talk of like maybe even 100 basis points. I mean, I, I don't know where we're going to be at in terms of the next increase, but what's your what's your sense? Yeah, Is it so, going to be even I mean, more than they'd forecast? The Fed likes to avoid surprising markets. Um, I mean, the market expectation now is for them to do three quarters of a percentage point. And so the path of least resistance is to do another three quarters of a percentage point. But, you know, I think the more important underlying message is that until we see some evidence that inflation is is relenting a little bit, the Fed's going to keep pushing that dial. So. Is that is what they're doing not working, or or like you said earlier, it's it's that they did it too late, that they were behind they're, the curve, and, and this is their the only real tool. They're, they're behind the curve. It's okay. it's clearly working because okay. you know we see stock prices have come down. We've seen some of the heat in the housing market come off. We've seen some evidence that consumer spending might be slowing down a little bit. So this is all what the Fed is trying to do. So basically, what happened is. Demand and supply in the broader economy got out of whack. Uh, During and after COVID, the federal government pumped trillions of dollars of stimulus into the economy, right into household bank accounts in the form of relief checks and unemployment checks and rental assistance. And at the same time, uh, supply chains, you know, companies sourcing computers or car parts overseas got bottled up. So we had less supply and more demand, and that's just a recipe for inflation. So we don't know what's going to happen with the supply side of the economy. Hopefully, big business figures out how to get those goods back through the ports. But in the meantime, the Fed has to throttle back on demand, and the way they do that is to raise interest rates. So they raised them a few times already, and they're going to keep going until they see signs that demand is better aligned with supply. Based on the report we just got, it's far out of whack with supply right now. They have more work to do. So they'll do at least three quarters of a percentage point at the next meeting. Maybe they'll do a little bit more. We don't really know that. And then there will almost certainly be more as the year progresses. And right now, you know, there may be some hopeful signs, but not anything nearly convincing enough to get the Fed to take its foot off those brakes. To that point, you know, we do keep hearing that we have savings, right? That Americans have savings, that we're in a a somewhat of a, a decent position to deal with this right now, better than in years past. And and I think even Treasury Secretary Yellen said that we all have a buffer stock of savings, I believe were her words. When you look at that, does inflation then not go down that much until we run out of those savings and we stop spending and we stop being on the demand side of things? Right. So Secretary Yellen is absolutely right that there is a huge buffer of household saving and family bank accounts, trillions of dollars, more even than before the pandemic. You know, people responded to the housing bust of 2008 and 2009 by cutting back on a lot of their borrowing. So from a debt perspective, households are in pretty good shape 
too. So they do have money, funds, resources to fall back on. But that's not the only ingredient that kind of decides how much people on how much people spend. So uh, there's also just emotion. And if you look at surveys of households right now, you know, for instance, the University of Michigan, their sentiment surveys show that household sentiment is as bad as it's been in some of the worst recessions that we've experienced in recent years. In fact, if you look at when Michigan asked people, is now a good time to buy a car? They say it's the worst time ever, worse than huh. in 2008. So people have noticed these rising prices. And, you know, despite the fact that they have this buffer stock of saving, that doesn't mean they have to spend the money. And on discretionary goods, they could very easily pull back. Another thing that's an important factor here right now is that, you know, so we have this weird dichotomy where the job market is really strong. Unemployment is very low. So you would think, well, people would be pretty confident about that. But inflation is outrunning the amount of money that people are bringing home in their weekly paycheck. In fact, if you adjust for inflation, paychecks are down more than 4% from a year ago. So even though more people have jobs, uh, what they're bringing home, the purchasing power of what they're bringing home is going down. And in, in fact, the purchasing power of that weekly paycheck is as low as it's been again since 2008. So households have this shield in the form of really high savings. But there's a lot of arrows coming at that shield right now. Interest rates are rising. Inflation is rising. The stock market is falling. The news is bad. So they're fighting off a lot of arrows with that pretty healthy shield of saving that they've got. And we'll have to see if those people continue traveling, you know, around Thanksgiving and Christmas time. Yeah. So it's I mean, it it seems like there's a lot of pent up demand. And so there is a lot of travel this summer. Like if you look at hotel occupancy, you know, it's at high levels we haven't seen in years. But, you know, this might be one of those situations where people are having their fun and then <laughs> September, it's, it's like hunker down again. Right. A lot's going to hang on what they see happening in grocery stores, at gas stations and uh, at the barbershop. John Hilserath, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. Sure thing. Thank you. Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. This is Charlie Hurt with your Fox News commentary coming up. COVID cases are up. New, more contagious variants are spreading. And White House Chief Medical Advisor Dr. Anthony Fauci tells Fox... We are certainly not over it. People have an understandable desire to put this in the rearview mirror and say we're through with it. But that's just not the reality. COVID restrictions are few and far between at this point. And while more people are getting sick with COVID, many more are sick of hearing and thinking about COVID, taking their chances with the pandemic at this point. Well, there's a lot of debate about whether we're reaching endemic status. And endemic means that a low, steady state. So from a scientific standpoint, no, we're not in an endemic state. Dr. Jerome Adams served as United States Surgeon General during the Trump administration. From a practical standpoint, we're in a phase where we're trying to figure out individually and as communities and a broader society, how do we live with the virus? We're going to continue to see these surges 
Uh, I think everyone's wrapped their head around the fact that COVID is not going away. But the message from uh, scientists, from uh, from both political parties, uh, I think across the board is we have the tools to be able to live with the virus. And it's uh, incumbent upon us to utilize these tools in our communities so that we can stay open. We don't ever want to close schools again. We don't ever want to shut down businesses and hurt the economy again, but it's going to take us utilizing these tools we have available to make that reality. Yeah, I mean, there are some people out there who are still being very careful, like they were a year or two years ago, masks in public, maybe trying to avoid crowds as much as possible. But a lot of people, even people who were careful last year, the year before, are saying, you know what, I'm over it. COVID's going to be here forever. If I get sick, I get sick. I'm not going to do it anymore. I just can't. What do you say to them? Well, what I say to them is truly what I've said from the very beginning of the pandemic, and that's that everyone needs to understand their own risk. Are you someone who has multiple comorbidities? Are you someone who, quite frankly, says that the mental health and or financial difficulties of me taking owner's precautions are greater than my perceived risk of the virus. I believe in personal responsibility, but I want people to make an informed choice. But we're learning more about the virus, and we know that people are getting uh, infected repeatedly. And it's not just death that people should be worried about. Significant numbers of people, by some estimates, more than one in five people who get COVID, even mild cases of it, are developing long COVID symptoms, problems with cognition and decreased brain size, cardiac problems, Um, mental health issues. So I want to tell people um, who I care about, and I want to tell all of your listeners, don't think that just because most people who get COVID have a relatively mild case of it in the immediate time frame, that that means that you should get it repeatedly. Because each time you get it, you're rolling the dice, and those dice may may cause you to crap out and end up with a, a debilitating case of long COVID. The flip side is I actually go on vacation. Uh, I go out to restaurants. Uh, I do many of the things that everyone else says that they want to do, but I try to do them with a degree of safety. So I will actually wear a mask when I'm traveling through the airport and on planes so that I don't get COVID so that I can go on vacation or go to work more safely. Uh, I am vaccinated and boosted. And only about a third of this country uh, is actually properly up to date on their vaccinations, including getting booster shots. Uh, I test uh, when I'm going in and out of different environments so that if I actually test positive, I can isolate and not infect other people, but also so I can take Paxlovid if I do test positive. Again, we have these tools. It's not a choice between shutting down um, or ignoring COVID. It's actually really about helping people understand that you can take precautions based on your own personal risk perception and availability of these tools to you and your area uh, so that you can learn to live with this virus. Let's talk about boosters. Uh, Americans over 50 are eligible for second boosters, if I have that correct. And people who have uh, who are a higher risk are are eligible for second boosters. I guess that could be expanded to more people. Now, if if you're in the younger end of that 50 plus range and you're fairly healthy, what do you say about second boosters? Is it worth it? And if so, when's the optimal time to get it? Well, um, again, as you mentioned, over 50 or people who are immunocompromised or vulnerable should get that second booster because with this BA5 wave that we're in, it is incredibly important that people understand we're seeing hospitalizations go up again. Uh, We haven't seen deaths start to go up yet, but we always know that that lags behind hospitalizations. And here's the challenge. When we talk about healthy young people, um, a lot of people haven't yet wrapped their head around the fact that most folks in the United States are not young or healthy. Over uh, half of the people in this country 
are obese or morbidly obese, many people with hypertension, many people with diabetes. So we talk about healthy people, and I'm doing my air quotes here, even though you can't see it on the radio, but most of us are not actually healthy. We are at higher risk. And I want people to understand that when they're making choices. I would encourage people who do have risk factors or who don't know if they have risk factors to talk to their doctor, make a choice that's right for you. Know that I have asthma and high blood pressure. So I'm vaccinated and double boosted because I'm out in the public a lot for work and I want to be able to do things with my family. I've got three kids who are always out being exposed. So I, I want to do it as safely as possible. And I encourage other people to do that. Um, that said, if you truly are young and healthy, I would encourage you to get vaccinated, get that first booster, because really three doses is what's going to give you your best baseline protection. And then for those folks, um, I don't think it's a bad thing for you to say, OK, I'm going to wait until the fall and kind of see how things go um, at that point. If you've got those three doses, you're pretty well protected against hospitalization and death. But we know that that second booster dose is helpful for people like myself who have comorbidities and want to give themselves the best possible protection. Dr. Ives, you talk to people who, who've had somebody in their household get it. But they never got it so far, not once during the whole pandemic, as far as they know. And other people are vaxxed and boosted or double boosted and they do get it. And and some get really sick. Is it has there been enough time to study why that might be or is it just luck? Well, that is a wonderful question and it's frustrating to people. But I would remind your, your listeners, that's the same way it is with every infectious disease. Uh, that, that we deal with. Uh, when the cold runs through your family, some people get it, some people don't. And that has to do with a number of different factors, whether or not you've been exposed before and didn't realize it because you had an asymptomatic case um, and you have antibodies or, or protection against it, um, what the dosage was, meaning how long were you around that person. Uh, we've all in our lives uh, been near our kids, our family, our spouses, and one person got the flu and the other person didn't. So COVID is no exception. It is in some ways um, the luck of the draw in terms of your inherent immunity, um, the amount of time you're around that person and whether or not you have a different level of protection versus that other individual. But all that said, when we look at big numbers, the big numbers, we know the best way to protect yourself is to be vaccinated and up to date on your vaccinations, even if you have prior infection confirmed, because we, we're seeing now that with BA5, even having an infection a few weeks or a few months ago with a BA1 or BA2 variant, is not preventing a reinfection. I'm in Indiana right now, and 20% of our new cases, according to our health department, are reinfections. And the studies consistently show your best protection is that hybrid immunity you get from prior infection, plus being up to date on your vaccinations. Um, but now, as Dr. Fauci was saying recently, it looks like at this point, the vaccines aren't providing that much protection against um, transmitting it to other people. Your contagion level may be just as high if you've been vaccinated. So is it really just about your personal response, your, your personal responsibility to yourself? And if that's the case, why have vaccination requirements? That is a wonderful question. And I want people to understand that our recommendations have evolved as we've learned more about the virus, but also as the virus itself has evolved. When these vaccines first came out, they were 90 plus percent percent protective against spread of disease and almost 100 percent protective against hospitalization and death. So the recommendations were based on that. I'll be the first to admit that far too many places haven't adapted their recommendations accordingly as we've seen the virus continue to adapt. You don't get 
great protection now against spread, but you do still get great protection against hospitalization and death if you're fully vaccinated, and especially if you're up to date on your vaccinations. But the final point I wanna add is that a, a little bit of protection times a whole lot of people still can make a difference in terms of our ability to fight this virus. So even at 20% decrease of spread, when you're talking about going to a football game, and I'm a Colt season ticket holder, so I wanna go to, uh, to the Colts game this year. And when you're talking about going to a concert, that can keep an event from turning into a super spreader event or limit the amount of spread that happens, even if you're not getting great protection. So I do think that there are considerations uh, that, that, that would make people say, well, I still wanna have a vaccine requirement for my events. Uh, my issue is that we haven't changed our definition of up to date on our vaccinations. And so that vaccine requirement becomes less impactful if people aren't actually fully up to date, meaning having their vaccination and their booster, you're right. Um, just having two doses of an MR, mRNA vaccine or one dose of J&J, uh, quite frankly, isn't doing a lot if you have a vaccine requirement, if you're looking at spread. As far as I know, this, the vaccine that people are getting today is the same vaccine they were getting a year and a half ago, right? I mean, is it time to update them? And can is it even possible to stay ahead of the variants? We know the flu shot, for example, that, that changes up year to year, and some years it's more successful than others. Uh, so that is a wonderful question. And uh, number one, I would say that it's been pretty miraculous that we are now going into year two and a half, three uh, of having this vaccine based on the original strain. And it's still providing a very good protection against hospitalization and death. Uh, what I say to folks who are frustrated with the vaccine is uh, you shouldn't be frustrated. You, you should be thankful that we're still getting good protection from this vaccine against hospitalization and death. And we shouldn't be surprised that we're seeing decreasing protection against spread. It is time to update these vaccines. And you saw the FDA recommended that we have updated vaccines based on new variants. But to your point, the flu usually gives us a pause. It happens in the fall, in the fall and winter. And then it gives us a pause to kind of catch our breath and find and figure out, okay, how should we reformulate this vaccine? The problem with COVID is these waves are hitting repeatedly. And by the time you reformulate a vaccine, it may be reformulated to a, a variant that's long since passed. Uh, but that said, we've got to, to we've got to at some point hit the reset button. And that's what the FDA is saying. Let's reformulate these vaccines and let's make sure, let's see whether or not they give us better protection moving forward. Dr. Jerome Adams, former Surgeon General of the United States, proud Indianapolis Colts fan. Dr. Adams, good to talk to you again. Thanks. Always good to talk to you and, and to, to your listeners. Hang in there. Precise, personal, powerful. It's America's weather team in the palm of your hands. Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Charlie Hurt. What's on your mind? George Washington shed his uniform as a general in the Continental Army to become president of the United States. He proved that anyone without royal bloodlines who is willing to make extraordinary personal sacrifices could be leader of a country. Abraham Lincoln was born in a log cabin he proved that anyone, no matter how humble or hard scrabble your background, could rise to become president. John F. Kennedy proved that his Catholic faith was no obstacle. And Barack Obama proved that race was no obstacle. 
Now comes President Biden, who has plumbed the greatest depths to expose and remove every last barrier to the White House. He has proved that anyone can be president. Literally anyone. Can't speak? No problem. Just park him in front of a teleprompter. Can't read? Here, take the keys to the White House anyway. Can't think? Even better. Give the man the codes to one of the largest nuclear arsenals on the planet. You don't even have to be able to ride a bike to be president anymore. No matter how slow, no matter how hopeless, no matter how limited you are, this is America, and you can still be president of the United States. American voters, ever polite, feel sorry for the guy. They would rather not run through all the litany of ways Mr. Biden has personally made their lives more miserable. And he has not even been in charge for two years yet. What is so amazing about the Biden administration is how low the bar was set for the guy. The previous occupant of the White House left things running pretty good. On the policies, voters were pretty pleased with Mr. Trump. And the economy was roaring, especially in the wake of the pandemic. All Mr. Biden had to do was not touch anything and act normal. But he could do neither. This is a man who has spent pretty much his entire adult life pretending to be a harmless old coot from Congress. Just sit back, say nice things, collect the biggest government bureaucrat paycheck of your life and then retire the multi-multi-multi-millionaire you made yourself off of five decades in Washington. For some reason, a toxic mix of arrogance, stupidity, and dishonesty, Mr. Biden just could not leave things alone. Or at least somebody in the White House could not leave things alone. Because it sure doesn't look like Mr. Biden could decorate Christmas cookies, let alone make all the devastating decisions that are being made in the White House these days. The one thing we do know is the result. At the border, there is an unprecedented invasion. Inflation is exploding. American interests in Afghanistan and around the globe, an area of unrivaled expertise for Mr. Biden over the past 50 years, have cratered. But we still do not know who it is that is in charge in the White House. As sure as voters are that Mr. Biden is too old to run for re-election, they are completely in the dark about who exactly is making all these insane decisions that are destroying the country. It is a rather alarming way to run a government, especially for a bunch of people who claim to be so concerned about insurrections. But at least we live in a country where anybody, literally anybody, can be president. I'm Charles Hurt, Fox News contributor and opinion editor at The Washington Times. Listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up to the minute news, go to foxnews.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four term U.S. Congressman from South Carolina brings you a one of a kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com.